when they're speaking, they tilt their head to one side. And while that is a listening gesture, it's weak because what anthropologists tell us is that when an animal surrenders in the wild, it exposes its neck. So uh. subliminally, your audience is picking up weakness, even though they may not be thinking about it consciously. You're listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience, a podcast dedicated to helping executives train their sales and marketing teams to optimize growth. Whether you're looking for techniques and strategies or tools and resources, you've come to the right place. Let's accelerate your growth in three, two, one. Welcome everyone to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. I'm your host, Chad Sanderson. Today, we're talking about the power of speaking as part of your sales and marketing strategy. Why is it so important in the current business environment? How it positions you as a thought leader? And of course, how to do it effectively, since this is something many people (laughs) fear on a regular basis. To tackle this topic, we have with us Diane DiResta, the founder and CEO of DiResta Communications. Diane's a certified speaking professional, international keynote speaker, executive speech coach, and author of Knock out presentations. Her work's been featured on media outlets like CNN, Bloomberg Radio, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, and many more. Diane, thank you for taking time and welcome to the show. It's great to be here, Chad. Excellent. So let's start with an understanding of why public speaking became the focus of your career. This is something that many people run from with a great deal of fear and trepidation. So help me understand how this became the focus and passion for what you do day to day. You know, you're so right about people fearing it. You know, it's interesting. I was thinking about how I got started. And when I thought back, even as a child, I was correcting people's speech. But I ended up going to college and got my master's in speech pathology. And from there, I worked in the schools for a number of years and then made a career change and started doing stand-up speaking training with a company and went on from there to Solomon Brothers doing training for management. And then my last full-time job was Assistant Vice President at Drexel Burnham, where I was working with the trading floor, recruiting and training uh, fixed income traders to actually go through the program. So I've always been in some kind of speech and communication my entire life. And I got interested in it because as I was a speech pathologist, I got tapped to do some teacher training. So I started doing seminars and realized I liked it. And that positioned me to get the job at the training company that did public speaking. And the rest is history. (laughs) <laughs> and when we say public speaking, let's, let's be clear for the audience. We're not just talking about standing in front of a room of a thousand or 2000 people giving a presentation. We're talking about standing in front of any room of any people. Maybe it's uh, prospects or customers, right? Where you're presenting and you have to have and convey a certain amount of confidence and, and gravi- gravitas. But I'm curious in those two different scenarios, big open rooms, maybe a more intimate setting with a customer prospect, are there different ways to gain confidence and, and, and portray that gravitas that people should be thinking about? Or is it really just a core set of best practices for public speaking that work no matter the size of the venue? Well, you're absolutely right about the definition of public speaking because people think it's speaking in front of 100 people and it's not. Big myth. And I often say to people, I, I'll, I'll tell you this quick story and then answer your question. I was speaking to a group 
And one day after the presentation, I went into the ladies room and I overheard someone talking about my presentation. And by the way, if you want to know the real truth, you go into the restroom. And, you <laughs> and what she said was, I thought she was good, but I don't public speak. And I wanted to shake her because yes, you do public speak. The question I ask is, do you leave voicemails? That's public speaking. Do you give updates at meetings? That's public speaking. So to your question, there are a core set of skills. However, how you use them, how you manage them is a little bit different depending on the venue. So you mentioned earlier as public speaking as a thought leadership skill. More and more I'm seeing sales professionals having to do what I call seminar selling. They're getting a group together for dinner or lunch and they're talking to groups as opposed to just one-on-one. -on -one. So when you're on a stage or in a bigger venue, you need to use the same skills but expand upon them. So it's how do you use the room and the staging. You need to show up bigger. You have to project a lot more. You, it takes a lot more energy. So it's a true performance. However, when you're in a smaller setting, let's say at a table with a few people, you don't want to be booming because that's <laughs> aggressive. So you need to tone them down and you need to be able to use the skills that are appropriate to that venue. So to answer your question, yes, you need to, to modify it and change it for each setting. And, and I know in my own experience, you know, we teach uh, and train large groups of people simultaneously or smaller groups, anywhere from say 15 to 50 in a room, give or take. And it is, you use the word performance. And I don't think until just you said that, that actually when I am up there training and working with the room and trying to capture the attention, it is a bit of performance and it does change based on the size of the room. Am I mic'd? Am I not mic'd? How are the tables set up? You know, what are the, where are the displays? How are people turning from me to any visuals that may be presented? It's a bit of a juggling act. It's not necessarily uh, intuitive. <laughs> no, you don't just show up. And I actually wrote a whole chapter in Knockout Presentations on setting the stage because if you're in that kind of venue, it, you can derail. You can have the best sales presentation, but if the staging isn't right, it'll impact in a negative way. So you need to coordinate and time. And the, the key here, I believe, no matter what the venue or size, is engagement. Is your audience engaged? And there are different ways to do that, whether it's large or small. So if you're in a smaller group, it's more intimate. There can be more of a dialoguing and conversation. If it's a large group, you can still have that engagement, but it's in smaller snippets. It, it's smaller exercises, but you can still do similar things. And, and it's a, it's a, it's not something, you know, I, I've heard people say, oh, well, public speaking is a, is a soft skill. And I probably, before I found myself, you know, in front of large rooms, giving presentations or, or teaching uh, the way that we do, I might have believed that, but I did notice specifically in some of the materials you sent over that you, you call it right out. You say public speaking is not a soft skill at all. Can you help Thank us you. understand that? Thank you, Chad, because this drives me crazy. I do a lot of work in corporations, and they always call me a soft skill. Well, you know what? This is a soft skill that has hard bottom line results. There is a true return on investment or ROI. And I, I want to give you some examples because people, I, don't, I think, don't realize this. There was a CEO in a pharmaceutical company that I worked with. 
And he had a goal of convincing the executive committee to fund the building of a vaccine facility, which would cost $300 million. There was no guarantee of success, and then there would be three years of clinical trials. So this was a high stakes sales presentation. So he worked with me for a number of months and I coached him on how to be more persuasive, how to put it together. We got into the minds of the listeners and the end result is he got the sale. However, that initial $300 million turned into a $1 billion success. Mm. Yeah, so that is hardcore <laughs> return on investment and imagine if he didn't have the presentation skills to convince the executive committee, they would have lost out on all that revenue. I can give you another example. When I was asked to help the committee or the senior management to speak at investor day and the CEO was saying, look, we have our committee. You've got to get them tight. They've got to be no more than 20 minutes. We really want our stock to do well. So we did. And the email I got a few weeks later was that it was a success, it was well received, the analysts gave them a good rating, and their stock was at an all-time high. So speaking can move markets. It is really <laughs> powerful. Well, I mean, it's impression, right? It's impression of, of intelligence, of, of commitment, understanding of a particular market or topic. It's confidence. It builds trust. You know, somebody who can command a room and, and manage it effectively, it's more likely that the people that you're talking to are going to trust and be willing to make an investment with you or, or collaborate with you to achieve some results. So I think, and I'm with you saying it's a soft skill. I wish it was that simple, <laughs> quite yeah. honestly, but it's, it's really not. I mean, there are a lot of things that go into, you know, doing it well. And it takes, you know, like anything that you want to do well, it takes practice in my experience. Is that something that you've seen as well? I always say it's 90% preparation and 10% delivery. So when you see the great speaker there or the great sales presenter in a small group, there is so much preparation that went before that. And that's why they can make it look simple. And I also say that delivery sits on structure. And so you've got to have a, a template, a structure, some kind of system so that you can organize your thoughts so that it sounds natural and it sounds conversational, but helps you get to the point. It, it looks easy. It should look easier than it actually is <laughs> if it's done well. Um, and so a big part of that though is confidence, right? So I, I have worked with people that are absolutely terrified to have to do, and they, they would consider public speaking anything in like a large room. So if you ask them to come in and say, address a global sales force, you know, they start to, they start to shake. You see the sweats happen, you know, but a big chunk of that is confidence. And as I was prepping for this interview, I noticed that one of the bullet points on the stuff that you sent over was creating confidence, how women sabotage communication in the workplace. And there's a couple, I mean, that's a loaded, a loaded statement. So I would love to understand that a little bit better for our audience. Yes, it is a loaded statement. But I will tell you when we had that title uh, at one of the major corporations for their women's group, we had 60 signups within 20 minutes. So even though I got a lot of flack for the title, it, it drew a crowd. Here's what I've discovered. Women have some behaviors that are unique to them. It's not that men don't get nervous, they really do. In fact, I say there are two equalizers in life, money and public speaking. <laughs> I don't think that men or women or women are better presenters, but there are some unique things about women. And the reason I went there is because women have to prove themselves so much more than men. And so 
I start to examine what they do. So one of the things that I saw that women do that I don't see many men doing is the head tilt. In other words, when they're speaking, they tilt their head to one side. And while that is a listening gesture, it's weak because what anthropologists tell us is that when an animal surrenders in the wild, it exposes its neck. So uh. subliminally, your audience is picking up weakness, even though they may not be thinking about it consciously. So these are simple things. Stand there or sit there with your head straight up. That will make a difference in the impression of confidence. Another thing that I've seen women do that I don't see men do as much are use wimpy words or weak speak. And wimpy words are words such as, so hopefully I've tried to convince you and I feel that if maybe we get together, this could be beneficial. No, what have you just said? And here's what's interesting. Where do you think these wimpy words start to creep in in the sales process and the sales presentation? Right up front. Yeah, and also as they're closing because the nervousness starts to happen when they have to ask for the sale. So it's what are the wimpy words and how can you substitute a more definitive term? So it's not if you buy, it's when you buy or buy purchasing with us. Use words that are more powerful or not tentative. Just only, those are words that modify and weaken your conviction. So when you are persuading, influencing, selling, you want to use stronger definitive language. When you're in a conflict, that's when you want to use softer tentative language, such and, as and you might want to consider. Mm -hmm. It's amazing, right? If you think about it, you know, we've talked about how you set up a room and the dynamics of how that impacts it. We've talked about physicality. You, you mentioned mm -hmm. tilting the head. We're talking about uh, linguistics, essentially, mm -hmm. sentence structure, word choice. So anybody out there who still thinks that public speaking is a soft skill, uh, mm -hmm. I hope you're paying attention because these are disciplines and approaches that, that we can work on, that we can, mm -hmm. that we can practice. And today, I think, you know, to, for Diane's credit, I think it is more critical today because we have less time to grab up people's attention, convey critical information. So being concise and targeted, I think is always extremely effective, but it doesn't happen overnight. It just, it's not something that you're just going to walk into a room and be able to pull off. You really have to put in the time. Hence, I'm assuming, Dan, why the book has been so successful and, and why your career has rocketed the way it has. Well, because what, what's been said about knockout presentations is it's a seminar in a book or it's been called the Bible of public speaking. And that's exactly how I wrote it. So that if you can't be with me personally, you can take me with the book because <laughs> all the exercises and the tips and the do's and don'ts at the, ever, at the end of every chapter. So it's almost like self-paced learning. <laughs> and I, what's great is it has such breadth. We've had it in the colleges and in the C-suite. So it really has something for everybody. But, but you're right about today more than ever before, speaking is the new competitive edge. It absolutely is. And I say that because years ago, say 10 or more years ago, a senior person could delegate down. Now they want to hear from you. So you can't avoid this skill. And the other thing that's different today is you have so many messages. Everything is commoditized. So even if you have, a, let's say, a unique software that you are selling, it's a matter of time before your competitors can reproduce it. So what separates you from the pack is your presentation. And you hit it on it earlier when you said trust. 
that is what helps build trust when you can convey a message connect with the audience and get them to feel comfortable with you and that brings up a good point so is there are there tips or tricks um or, or i shouldn't say i shouldn't say let's say best practices that you would tell people that they could internalize that would help them maximize their persuasiveness or their ability to connect to an audience Yes. Well, the first word that you said is connect. And I ask people to move from an eye contact to an eye connection. So I help them to really connect through the eyes with people so that they feel like you're really looking directly at them and with them. A few other things too. The most important thing is rapport. It's the likability. And so when people like you and they feel that you are like them, that's when the conversation starts to open and they begin to trust. So meet them where they are. I think one of the mistakes is people try selling too quickly. So if they are a slow speaker, slow down your pace. If they are a high energy person, pick it up. What kind of language do they use? Do they seem to be a little formal or are they folksy? When you start to match them and you enter their world, you are being a much better presenter and a sales professional. Okay. And so that's persuasiveness now. And eye contact, I'm with you 100%. I think that's some people struggle with that. I've also seen, um, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Sangram Vajra. He's the CEO of Terminus. He just had, uh, I've had him on the podcast and, and we run in some of the same circles, but he was petrified of public speaking. I mean, just to his own admission, I think he just put up a LinkedIn post about this and he came up with this, uh, slow clap. So like when he comes out on stage, that usually does it in a big room. It starts with a slow clap to get the audience clapping along with him. Then he speeds it up and it starts, he feels starts to create some type of back and forth exchange or connection. So eye contact is a, is a physical approach. This slow clap is, is kind of a physical approach as well. There, is there another one that you can think of that, that our, our audience might relate to? Well, I, uh, I did see his video and I love that because if you're nervous, the best thing you can do is put the focus on the audience. So if you <laughs> yeah. clap, they're already engaged. They're with you. They're having fun. And now that takes the pressure off. But yes, uh, who was it? Mark Victor Hansen, who wrote the wrote chicken soup for the soul right. when he speaks and he wants to underscore a point he'll say to the audience put your finger to your head now say that's interesting and everybody does it so again <laughs> they're engaged uh, zig ziglar used to get on one knee on stage and there is les brown who uses a lot of energy as he walks on the stage and he'll say something like you've got to be hungry and so he tells his story and how he got to that mantra and so that becomes part of his speech and people wait to hear that. There's Lisa Nichols, who's a motivational speaker, and she uses the I, we, you technique. So when she wants to get people to embrace what she's saying and own it, she'll start with an I statement, I do such and such. Then she'll say, and so we, blah, 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 and it ends up with you. And so by that point, she subliminally seated people to accept what she said because they're, she's now saying you. So those are some of the things that I've seen people do that help with the engagement. 
And, 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 you know, now, and now we're adding, now there's other techniques. Now there's physical techniques to, to connect to the audience. And I just go back to that. You know, you, you mentioned structure earlier, right? So you want to make sure you have a structure that supports, you know, your strengths and weaknesses as a, as a presenter, where I, th- which is where I think having a coach or working with someone like Diane guys, if you're listening, uh, is critical, right? I, I have done it in the past. It has made the difference in my comfort level in front of a room, uh, in front of customers, even in one-on-one interactions. There, there are things and techniques that can be used, but it is something that requires multiple, say, disciplines and, and mastery of them or progression in each of them to do effectively. How long just, and this is, I know, totally not in my questions that I sent you before, <laughs> okay. before but I'm you curious. When we're in sales, so. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, I just had two, two questions. So I always hear people say, project your voice. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm curious, I have never heard or seen a concise explanation of exactly how to do that. Well, it, it's through the breath and the, the, control of the abdominal muscles. So a lot of times people are, are shallow breathers. And by that, I mean, if you ask an audience to take a deep breath, and I've tested this, they will raise their shoulders. Right from there, you know that they are not breathing deeply. So when you put your hands on your abdomen, and the audience, people can do this now, one hand on the chest, one hand on the abdomen, And when you breathe in, your abdomen should expand. You should see your lower hand coming out and forward. So it's not the military suck it in, it's let it out. (laughs) If you do that for a number of beats, you'll start to use those muscles. And those are the muscles that allow a singer to hold note. Those are the muscles that allow someone to project. Because when we try to project, a lot of times we're speaking from the throat and that doesn't get you very far. It's practice, it's a lot of practice. And so if you really have trouble with projection, you might want to work with a voice coach, but, uh, but it is very important to do that because I've seen people lose credibility because they're speaking too softly. Right, well, and then people in the back of the room aren't hearing you you know, as clearly and your, your group is getting different amounts of information even though you're saying the same thing based on just what they can hear. Exactly. I just had that experience yesterday. We were at a medical office and they were giving a presentation. There was a woman who, it was small, there were 10 of us, but she was hard of hearing. So we asked the person to come to the middle of the room because she was not able to project. Excellent. So a couple of tips that you could give our listeners that would move the needle for them in their next conversation. I mean, we've mentioned a lot of stuff and I don't want anybody to think they have to, before they talk to another human being, they have to go work on all of these things. Um, But if you could give them, you know, one or two tips that would actually move the needle in the next conversation, what would that be? I would say passion and trust, connection. So first of all, be excited because you don't have to have great skills if you are passionate and excited about what you do. And I could tell you stories about people who were flubbing and dropping papers, but they were so excited that people got caught up in it and they hired them. So enthusiasm is contagious. And the other thing is trust. Don't talk about your product. Talk about the audience, the buyer. Talk about their problems. Get into a conversation and show that you care. So I would say passion building trust by being listener centered and not speaker centered and by showing that you care. And also third party endorsements are, are good. So if you say, 
well, what people, my clients have told me in the past is a lot more powerful than to say, I am good at this or my product will do this. I have a whole chapter, I think it's chapter seven in knockout presentations called listener-centered communication. And it's a template for you to organize your thoughts in terms of the listener's point of view, starting with a hook. And nice. I will tell you, when you get those telemarketers, I generally hang up on them. There was one time I didn't because the way he started was not, hi, I want to talk to you about your electric costs. He said, is this Diane DeResta? Yes. Well, I'm from the electric company and I'm calling to let you know that you're paying, you pay too much on your bill. What? What, what month was this? This month? What? And now I'm figuring out what, what did I overpay? <laughs> and then finally I realized he's trying to sell me on a another company so that got my attention so do your homework and start with a hook what does your listener care about they don't care about your product or service they don't care about you they care about solving their problems and i know every salesperson has learned that but we need the reinforcement the challenge is when you're in a presentation how do you structure it so that it starts with what's important to them we have a template for people who want to do that yeah, you're you are preaching to the choir on that one. We teach, you know, the the sales methodology that we teach and work with with people on is completely about understanding the buyer's perception of value. What do they think is important? So it's how do you ask those questions? Um, and it is a it is almost a you know you know you said every you know all salespeople know this. It's almost common sense if you think about it. But the number of people that actually when they're in the situation practice it is slim, like there's few, right? You would think that it would be, okay, I'm going to come in and I'm going to, and I'm going to ask questions and I'm going to listen. But man, the vast majority of people that try to sell to me or that we work with, we've trained them in some cases in these organizations all about the product. Our product is this, our product is that, our product is this, the product is that. And now you want to go out and what, what happens? Well, they want to go out and they want to share that information, slowing them down and having a structure to ask questions is, is absolutely critical to success today. So if you guys haven't gotten it, get that, get the book, knockout presentations and check out that chapter. Um, I've got another question for you again, not to just kind of ad lib in here. When we think about, you know, we've talked about structure and room control and breathing and language. There's all of these elements to, effective public speaking. What have you seen in terms of how long does it take someone who, I don't want to say is petrified, but let's just say kind of a standard normal individual who's not real comfortable with public speaking. How long have you seen or worked with people to get them to a point where maybe they're not at the mastery level, but they're, you know, they're a heck of a lot more accomplished and comfortable. What kind of journey does that look like? What kind of time does that take? Well, everybody's different, Chad, but I will tell you that I, I tell people I'm in the transformation business because I can do a two-day seminar and see people move the needle, and that's very exciting to me. It doesn't mean they have no fear, but they, they've stepped up, and they're, they'll tell me, I feel more confident, and you can see it in them. I had one woman. I had four one-hour coaching sessions with her. I was a gift by her mother-in-law. She was a second-year law student, and she was thinking of dropping out of law school because she was so afraid of speaking. And within four sessions, she was feeling a lot more confident. And here's the thing. It's so much about mindset. It's mindset and skill set. You need both. But nervousness begins in the mind. So if you're very nervous, I know a couple of things about you. Number one, you're living in the future. You're thinking every, of everything that can go wrong. Oh, what if I trip? What if I lose my train of thought? What if, we, if I forget the benefits? So you need to come back to the here and now, which is the present. And that goes back to what you were saying. 
you're trained in product, but what's your intention? If your intention is to sell, that's going to get you in trouble. If your intention is to understand the client and develop a relationship, you're going to be curious. So you want to have a curious mind. The other thing is, if you are nervous, you are being self-centered because you're thinking about me, myself, and I. So get over yourself. It's not about you. It's about the audience. So what can you do for that prospect, that buyer, that group, that audience to make them feel more comfortable? What do they care about? And think, I think of myself sometimes as a host. And when people come into the room, I'm there early and I'm shaking hands and greeting them and talking to them, which is a great way to relax yourself because now you feel like you've made a few contacts. And use people's names. If you talk to someone, you can reference something they said with their permission during your presentation. People will love that. Excellent. Excellent. All right. Last, um, let's change direction a little bit here. We asked two standard questions at the end of each interview. The first is simply you're running your own business. That makes you a prospect for people that want to sell you things. And I'm curious, uh, I always like to understand, you know, if somebody doesn't have a relationship or there's not a referral in, what do you find that people do to build credibility, capture your attention? What works the best uh, to get in front of you if somebody thinks they have, you know, a solution that's going to be beneficial? for you or your team? Well, first being authentic and sincere. So not sounding salesy. So for example, if somebody had said, uh, how would you like to lower your electric bill? I would have hung up right away. (laughs) After they said, oh, no, you're overpaying. It was a different thing. But I would say go to LinkedIn. It's so much easier now and see what you can find out or go to their website. What can you find out about that person and reference it? And the best thing is when you find something of a personal nature where you find an interest or a hobby or growing up someplace that you have in common, I would build on those kinds of things. And then you have to be able to get to the point pretty quickly. You don't want to waste people's time. So let them know what they're, what, why you're calling, who you are, introduce yourself. But find some rapport. And as soon as you do that, it starts to switch. But it means that we need to do a lot more homework than we're used to. <laughs> right. Excellent. Okay, last question. We call it our acceleration insight. If there's one thing you could tell sales, marketing, or professional services people, one piece of advice that if they listened to, you believe would help them hit their targets or, or achieve their goals, what would it be and why? Be listener-centered and not speaker-centered. I see this all the time in sales presentations, in any presentation. They start with their topic. They start with their product or service. No. You want to be able to start with what's important to them. So always start with that hook or that benefit and tell stories. Storytelling is one of the most powerful selling and presentation skills because when people first come into a room, their guard is up. When you tell a story, the guard drops because they're now engaged and they're listening. And you can say certain things and be much more powerful because people are coming to their own conclusions because they're seeing themselves and their own issues in that story. So let them discover things through story. Sell, don't tell. Excellent. Perfect, Dan. If the listener's interested in talking more about the topics today or learning more about your services, what's the most efficient way to get in touch with you? My website, deresta.com. That's D as in David, I-R-E, S as in Sam, T as in Thomas, A, deresta.com. Excellent. Dan, I can't thank you enough for taking time to be on the show. It's been great having you. Thank you. 
Excellent. All right, everyone that does it for this episode, please check us out at b2brevexec.com. You know the drill, share it with friends, families, coworkers, write us a review on iTunes so we know we're providing content that you enjoy. And until next time, we at Value Selling Associates wish you all nothing but the greatest success. You've been listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.